1: Hey guys, welcome back to Thick and Thin with me, Katie Bilotti. Hope you guys are all doing well. I kind of just want to cut to it, in a sense, in the beginning of this episode and just tell you guys what the deal is because it's going to come as a shock to a lot of you, I think. But this is actually the last episode of Thick and Thin as it is. And let me explain what I mean by that. So I've been doing this podcast, I believe it's been like three years now, maybe a little bit more than that. I started it when I graduated college and had moved to New York City for the first time. And it started out as this kind of catch all where I just talked about everything in my life, like personal wise. And then I would kind of integrate stories here and there. And then it graduated to being mostly storytelling about things that didn't really apply to me. And I've just felt over the years that it's been kind of this flying by the seat of my pants sort of medium here, which has been fun, don't get me wrong, but I've decided that I think I just need to call it quits on this format and maybe brainstorm ways to bring my love of storytelling and history and also talking about my own life, but weaving stories from my own life and stories from history, like weaving it all together. I need to come up with a better medium where it's kind of visual and I just feel more confident in it. And so that being said, I am concluding Thick and Thin, at least for now, who knows, We might come back someday with a revival. I do love Thick and Thin. I love the cover art. I love so many things about it and it's been so fun to do, but I just feel like it's kind of run its course, you know, when you feel like something has run its course and it's time to go, I think there's a lot of strength in knowing when it's time then also like doing it you know like deciding okay we're going to push pause i also have another podcast so i've been feeling like my all has just not been here with this one and i just don't feel like it's fair to those listening if i'm not fully in it my heart isn't in it my passion isn't in it so those are the reasons i just wanted to right off the bat Just say that I'm going to give you guys a very traditional episode today. Like, I'm going to tell you guys stories, and it's going to be a great final bow. But I just wanted to express the why. I know there's going to be some questions and some people not so happy with me, but that is just life. You know, you decide when things are just not serving you anymore. And you, know, you have to walk away when you feel that way. I've felt that way about numerous jobs that I've quit in my life, and things that you know it's it's called quitting, but it's also called honoring yourself and knowing that if your heart isn't in it, what's the point? At least when it comes to things like this, where it's fully me at the helm of it. I want to make sure that I have so much passion in what I'm doing, and I just don't feel that my solo podcast has really been that way for me in a while. Like I much prefer having my two friends with me, hence why I have the other podcast, Match Made, where I talk with two of my friends. It's just a lot more natural to me and just I'm more passionate in that podcast. So I do want to say though, I mean, I think I already kind of touched on this. I want to continue to share historic stories and tidbits from psychology and things that I find on the internet, on Reddit. Like I'm never going to stop being curious. So I definitely want to find a way to do that still, but maybe not in this format. It just doesn't feel right. I think I might take it to a different platform and do a more visual approach where I can show like videos and you know what I mean? Like, I don't know. And maybe shorter, like it won't be as long. I'm going to figure it out. It's going to take me some time as great things do take time, which I'm going to get into in today's episode. Actually, I kind of chose my final stories to have to do with the concept of my final bow, you know? And I found this quote actually to lead. It's by Willem Defoe, And he says, I think on some level you do your best things when you're a little off balance, a little scared. You've got to work from mystery, from wonder, from not knowing, which is exactly how I feel right now. Because at the end of the day, does anyone really know what they're doing? Or are we just all kind of hoping that something will poke and prod us in the direction of what's right? And I think that that's fully what I do on a daily basis. But I also have been learning to trust my heart and my gut more than I ever used to. So consider this not goodbye but you know, they say that they're like, this isn't goodbye. It's see you later. It's not even that because I have so many other things on different platforms. Like you're not going to get rid of me by any means if you don't want to get rid of me. But it's one of those things where I just need to take a pause, evaluate and recreate in a way, you know, transfer this into something else that I feel so proud of because, you know, it's, a remarkable feeling when you're creating something where you just feel so proud of it and other people get excited about that thing that you're proud of. Like that is hands down the best feeling. So I want to get back to that. I want that again. So that is why I'm stepping away from this podcast. I mean, it's going to be weird not sitting down and recording it like I do every single week and I have for years. But like I said, I have the other podcast. I have other things and this is not the end this is just the beginning. (laughs) You guys probably knew I was going to say that. Anyway, but like I said earlier, I'm still going to do a traditional episode today. I'm going to tell a story from history and a smaller second one. So you guys are going to – I guess I wouldn't even consider it history. I mean, I guess you could. It's technically myth. It's from Greek mythology. So it's a story that has been told for much of history, if that makes sense. But obviously – it is myth. So keep that in mind. But it all kind of has to do with this curiosity I had or this question that I found myself asking myself the other day when I was hearing, I don't know if I was reading something or listening to something, but I wrote down in my notes, Pandora's box, question mark. I have this one note where I write down, all the questions that I have that I want to look into later if I'm in a spot where I'm like focused on something else and I don't want to derail my focus by looking up something. So I had it in there and I was like, you know what? I think for the final episode, we are going to open Pandora's box, aka discuss what the heck is Pandora's box? Where does this phrase come from? All of the above. Because I've never really understood it when people have said, oh, you know, so-and-so just had to go and open Pandora's box. Like, what is this mysterious box? Why is it bad to open it? Like, is this phrase synonymous with opening a can of worms? Like, I've heard that a lot. I think most people think of this phrase to mean very bad news. Like, you're opening, like, something bad, right? But why? Who was Pandora? Why would opening this mysterious box create so many problems? What is the origin of this idiom that has become a huge part of the English language without people really even knowing the true origin? It's just something that we say, but I doubt many of us really know or at least recall the story. So that is what I'm going to tell you guys today. And of course, we have to start from the beginning. According to Greek legend, in the beginning there was only chaos. It was this all-consuming, dense darkness that covered everything until the Earth was born out of chaos and the mountains, the sea, then the sky with the sun, Uranus, the moon, and the stars. And then legend has it that Uranus and Earth, yes, you heard that right, these two planets, they came together and hooked up, and gave birth to the Titans. So <laughs> it's a lot of um, planetary lovemaking happening, I guess, back in the day. So bear with me. So Uranus and Earth, like I said, gave birth to the 12 Titans. After that, Uranus was afraid that one of his 12 Titan children would take his throne from him. So that is why he decided to enclose every single one of them in the depths of the earth, which is kind of a confusing visual. So which one gave birth to, like, did they both give birth to these 12 Titans? Did they like stuff it back? I'm like picturing someone stuffing a baby back into its mom, like just stuffing it anyway. So all of these Titans are enclosed in the depths of the earth, but his son, Uranus's son, Cronus, who is the strongest of the Titans, defeated him, and became the world leader. So Uranus was no more. Cronus took over. Cronus then married Rhea, who gave birth to two gods and three goddesses. Their names were Hades, Poseidon, Hera, Hestia, and Demeter, which you guys might remember or recall some of these names from history class, like probably like, I don't know, third or fourth grade. Actually, were we too young in third or fourth? I feel like it was more like sixth or seventh grade, at least in the U.S. when I learned these things. So in short, to kind of wrap things up, Uranus and Earth gave birth to Cronus. Cronus defeated Uranus, married Rhea, had all these kids. Because the apple does not fall far from the tree, Cronus eventually inherits the same fear that his father Uranus had of his kids' Taking his throne from him. So that being said, when they were each born, he decided to swallow them. Like he swallowed his kids whole. Hades, Poseidon, Hera, Hestia, and Demeter. All five of the kids were swallowed by their dad. Totally normal, I guess. Um, if you think someone's going to take your throne, just swallow them. That's that's what you do. Understandably so, Rhea the wife of Cronus, who is popping out these kids only for Cronus to eat them, was not very happy about this. I mean, imagine being a mother and having your your husband, delusional husband, swallow your kids. Like, that's not a great thing. So Rhea was expecting a sixth child. So after the five kids got eaten, she was about to have a sixth, and she was so afraid that the same fate would occur with this sixth child getting eaten as well. So she secretly gave birth on a mountain in Crete and hid the newborn child there. She then named the child Zeus. So does that ring a bell? She also, (laughs) because this girl was smart, she tricked Cronus into thinking that he swallowed this child as well by giving him a stone wrapped in swaddling clothes, which Cronus swallowed thinking it was their new baby, but it wasn't.
0: when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I.com.
1: So Zeus was in this secret mountain area and the nymphs, aka these like nature deities that were like these little like, you know what a nymph kind of looks like, right? Like in the movies, they're depicted as these like beautiful little nature, like fairies of sorts. So they... Took care of Zeus and fed him with the milk of a goat because, of course, they did. And then when he grew up, Zeus found his father and tricked him into drinking a mixture of wine and mustard, which sounds absolutely vile. So Zeus tricked Cronus, who had swallowed all of his brothers and sisters, to have this concoction of wine and mustard, which caused him to throw up the contents of his stomach. Zeus, his older brothers, and his sisters then miraculously came out of Cronus fully grown because when you swallow, I don't know, I mean, yes, they're like these supernatural like gods, but something tells me, I mean, I don't know. I just don't believe myths. Like I'm just too cynical for this. But anyway, so these fully grown brothers and sisters of Zeus came tumbling out of their father after he threw them up and... Then this great war ensued between the Titans and the gods with Zeus as their leader, the gods being Zeus and his siblings, etc., and the Titans being, like, his father. So this titanic battle lasted for 10 years. The gods defeated the Titans and threw them into Tartarus, which was a dark and gloomy place as far away from the earth as the earth is from the sky, so kind of like no man's land. And then the gods went on to fight the giants for world dominance because, of course, there is always someone left to fight, I feel. It's like, okay, you get through the big hurdle. In every movie I've seen, you know, any like sci-fi or action or kind of mythical movie, it's like, oh, we fought this person. But then in the sequel, we fight a different person. And then in the third film, we fight a different person because there's always someone to fight, always another hurdle. So Anyway, the gods went on to fight the giants for world dominance. And this war actually lasted a pretty long time as well. But ultimately, the gods were again victorious, of course. And then Zeus became the ruler of the whole wide world. And then he and the other gods settled in Olympus. So this is probably, like I said, a story you've definitely heard before if you are in like the public school system in America, at least. I feel like we all kind of had a – maybe even just a small lesson on this um, Greek mythology, but it does continue. Like we're going to get to Pandora's box, I promise. So one day in Olympus, which – when I was reading this and I think like when I was growing up too I just like didn't really pay attention well to this lesson because I always imagined Olympus as being like heaven and like these clouds and the gods would just like lounge on the clouds and drink wine and like gold outfits but in actuality Google tells me that Olympus is a mountain the highest mountain in Greece and I think that that is probably what they're referring to when they say Olympus but just a hunch Anyway, so one day in Olympus, they were all hanging out, all the gods. They were victorious. They were top of the world, killing it. And Zeus decides to give each of the gods a gift. And when I first read this, I was like, oh, like presents. But I really think he meant – or like this person that wrote this, that I'm going to have all the sources linked, meant like gifts as in, you know, like the gifts that the gods have that they – Like, it's their thing, like their superpower, you know? So he gives a gift to each of the gods, but notably, he did not care much for humans. Humans did exist at this time, though I will note they were all men. There were no women at this time, according to Greek mythology, but... Zeus did not care for humans. He was like gods over everybody, like screw the humans pretty much. But one of the group had a soft spot for humans. His name was Prometheus and Prometheus loved and felt sorry for the humans. So he climbed up on Olympus and stole some fire from Hephaestus, one of the gods that was there. And Hephaestus was the god of blacksmiths, of metalworking carpenters, craftsmen, Artisans, that sort of thing. So Prometheus stole fire from this guy's workshop, put it in a hollow reed, and gifted it to the humans. And he yeah, he gave them fire. And because of this gift, humans could now create fires, warm up, make tools, which sounds pretty nice. I'm not really sure what they were doing before for survival, but Hephaestus' fire was given to the humans by. Prometheus. So they had this gift. Zeus became very angry when he heard about this because he specifically did not want to give the humans any gifts. And Prometheus went behind his back and gave them fire, gave us fire, our ancestors. And so to punish Prometheus, Zeus took him to a high mountain and chained him to a rock with thick chains made by, you guessed it, Hephaestus, the god of blacksmiths and carpenters, etc. So the very guy that he stole from was the reason why he was able to be chained to this mountain. So every day, Zeus would send an eagle that would repetitively eat Prometheus's liver, which is disgusting, I know, gross. So somehow he didn't die, I guess because he's a god, so it was just like probably inconvenient for him to have this happen to him every day. But for 30 years, Prometheus remained bound on this mountain until the great hero Hercules, who you might have heard of, rings a bell, aka Zeus's demigod son, aka part god, part mortal, Hercules released him finally from his torment after 30 years. But even though Prometheus was getting punished for what he did, Zeus was just not letting it go. He really wanted to do something to show the humans who's boss. Like he thought they were going to start worshipping Prometheus and not him, like Zeus needed to put the humans in their place even though they did nothing wrong by just receiving this gift, but you know, Zeus is Zeus. So Zeus orders Hephaestus to create the first human woman out of soil and water. So like I said, women did not exist before in Greek myth. There was just men and then Zeus was like we have to make something new as a lesson and I guess he decided that women were the lesson but I'll get to that so the woman that Zeus instructed Hephaestus to create out of clay and then all of the other gods to give gifts to she of course was named Pandora so we're finally getting to the Pandora's box of it all So once Pandora's body was created out of clay by Hephaestus, she was given all of these things from the other gods. So Hermes taught her lying and trickery. Athena dressed her in a silvery gown, an embroidered veil, garlands, an ornate crown of silver, and taught her weaving. Aphrodite taught her grace and femininity. And then Zeus, of course, gifted Pandora a box and asked the other gods to place inside the box gifts for the humans. And then Pandora was to take care of this box and never open it. So here we go. However, apparently the gifts that all of the gods put inside of this box were not good positive gifts at all. They were in fact evil. Some would say beautifully evil. They were all the horrors and bad things that humanity could ever know kept inside of one large box. Box slash jar with a flimsy lid covering them, which sounds like such a trap. Also, like Zeus knew that Pandora's curiosity would be too much for her to resist because, like, he made her after all. Like, he instructed people on how to make her. Like, he knew that she was going to probably open the box. So, this was, you know, it was a trick from the start. She was to take care of this box, but never open it. And obviously, like, I'm thinking of myself, if I was put in her position, Like, I would probably feel, I don't know what would happen. I feel like I'd be good for a while, and then over time I'd be like, what the fuck, let's just do it, you know? Anyway, so these evils, he knew, Zeus knew, the evils would soon be unleashed upon humankind and cause them to struggle. And considering how jealous and vengeful Zeus was by nature, it's not super surprising that he would come up with this sort of punishment, but like I said, it just is a little bit bonkers to me that he's punishing humans for something that prometheus did like yes he already punished prometheus by having his liver be eaten like repetitively but come on like the humans didn't really do anything maybe i'm just like standing up for us because i am one of us but it just sounds a bit crazy that he's like going to these lengths anyway so zeus brought pandora down to earth and he decided that she would become epimetheus's wife so epimetheus this is another character here. He was god of afterthought and excuses, which honestly is not the best title, I've got to say. Like, not not a total catch. <laughs> you know, like the god, oh, what god are you? I'm the god of uh, afterthought and excuses. Like, that would be a swipe left for me on a dating app if there was a dating app for gods. But anyway, Pandora was betrothed to this guy, Epimetheus, and Epimetheus was actually Prometheus's brother. And Prometheus had warned Epimetheus that Zeus is up to no good and told him not to accept any gifts from the gods. But Epimetheus took one look at Pandora, this new woman, like, you know, and that had been crafted by the gods and was like, oh my God, I check yes, Juliet, I wanna marry her. Like, I don't care, she's beautiful. Even though she's a gift, like, he folded. He folded. He wanted to accept this particular gift because it was this gorgeous, perfect woman. As a wedding present, Zeus gave Pandora this box. Like I said, I said that earlier, but I guess it was truly a wedding present. And in ancient Greek, it was called a jar. We're going to get into that later, but it's either a box or a jar. But like I said, he warned her to never open it. And Pandora, being that she was created to be curious, she could not stay away from the box, And the urge soon after getting married and all that, it overcame her, the urge to open the box. And like I said, I think I would do the exact same thing. So when she opens the box, horrible things happened. Horrible things flew out of the box, including greed, envy, hatred, pain, disease, hunger, poverty, war, and death. So because she opened this jar or box all of these things descended upon mankind all of life's miseries had been let out into the world realizing what she had done pandora then slams the lid of the box back down and in the original myth when she does this she was shocked at what she had done at what she'd unleashed she then hears this tiny little voice crying out from within the jar asking to be let out and she opens it up once again and she sees hope. So there's this one last thing in the jar that had not come out, and it was hope. And it crawls out, feeble and frail, but her presence calmed and healed. So it's kind of a metaphor sort of thing. Like ever since, humans have all of this struggle that's in the world that's kind of inevitable, but they can hold on to this tiny little hope in order to survive all of this wickedness that Pandora let loose. So that leads us to the idiom Pandora's box. Pandora's box now means pretty much anything that is probably better left untouched. Like we don't really know what's going to happen when we go there, when we, you know, delve into maybe this like forbidden love or forbidden thing or like something that we just don't know. It's like all signs are pointing to red alert. Do not open this. Do not delve into this thing. Don't do this. And we're like, hmm, wonder what would happen if we do. (laughs) Like that is a Pandora's box in modern use. So some thoughts on this story. Like it's kind of a little bit bonkers that like it's all Pandora's fault. Like we're calling it Pandora's box, Pandora's at fault here when I would say it's Zeus's fault. If we're going to point fingers here, it should be called Zeus's box because he is the reason that like he created this woman more or less like not him himself but like he instructed people to create her as so and then he gave her this box knowing damn well she was going to open it he might as well have just gone down and opened the box himself like he had to blame it on another like classic classic I just Zeus sounds like a horrible guy <laughs> a horrible god but he blames it on Pandora and obviously of course this story I mean it's so antiquated because it makes women seem like the problem just like Adam and Eve, when Eve eats the apple, it's very, it gives me Adam and Eve vibes. And why, oh, like women, their uh, curiosities get the better of them and like whatever. But yeah, it's just interesting. Like I do want to say though, there was a note that I found. um, It's worth noting that although in modern day usage, we refer to it as Pandora's box, there is historic reason to believe that it wasn't a box at all. Like the word box is actually believed to be a mistranslation of the original word, which is pithos in Greek. And it means a large clay jar or earth jar that was used for storage and sometimes kept partially buried under the earth. So it could have been a jar, but we call it, of course, Pandora's box. And it's, you know, based on the experts I found online, they say that it's essentially a lesson on human weakness, but it's also an explanation for why life is so damn hard. Because you know, in the world, I feel like this even is still true today. Like when we have difficult things that we can't explain because, you know, a lot of things in life are hard to explain. But back in the day before we had modern medicine and technology, it was much harder to explain things. Like now we have a little little bit more clarity into why things happen and why bad things happen to people. But back then, especially when it came to like disease and like it was such, there were so many question marks. So people came up with myths and stories and things like this to explain the bad stuff in life. And this was a pretty good explanation. It's like, oh, Pandora, let's just blame Pandora. You know, there's always, it makes it easier to go through hard stuff if there's someone to blame. And so they made up Pandora, you know? And so that is why we call it Pandora's box. It's this lesson on, you know weakness and just why life is hard why there's sorrow why there's misfortune and it can all be traced back to the very first woman pandora i read this piece in the new york times actually that drew a very true yet very sad parallel to this so in today's world you know pandora's box is opened Nearly every morning in our homes, when we unfold and read the newspapers containing accounts of all manner of natural and man made catastrophes from every direction in the world, these stories explode all around us, giving us glimpses of a bruised and unhappy world. Stories of evil, pain, suffering, and grief pursue us relentlessly. It's true, like when we just read the news or watch the news or however you consume the news listen to the daily you know podcast we're opening pandora's box in a way as well or at least like listening to stories that have to do with the what is inside or what was inside of pandora's box like it's yeah i can imagine that people that were not as smart as we are today would just assume like oh yes it all came from this box but we know it to just be how life is you know it's not like there was anything before like this has always been a thing for us we can't forget hope, though. That one last thing that was in the box, hope. It, you know, f- crawled out of the jar and it was frail, but and tiny, but it was there. And it, you know, didn't make it out the first time, but it begged to come out. And Pandora, you know, inched the uh, the top of the box open and was like, "All right, you can come out, hope." And that is a metaphor for you know hope. Hope is still there. Like, yes, all of these other horrible, horrible things flew out into the world, but hope resides now inside of our hearts. It urges us, according to this article in the New York Times, they said it so perfectly, hope urges us day after day to muster up the courage to live through it all and pray for things to become better. You know, this reminds me of just all the tragic events that have happened recently with the school shooting. And like, there's just been numerous, numerous things here in the US that just make you feel like there is no hope. But we have to remember that there is a tiny hope always there in our hearts. And like, things can get better if we remember that it's there, you know? And yeah, I think it's pretty good. Good metaphor. And speaking of metaphors, I will leave you with one last, one final metaphor slash concept. And it has to do with maps. Isn't it crazy how years and years and years ago, like way back in the day, probably like, I don't know, 16, 1700s, we were able to map out the world in like pretty good detail before ever really seeing it from afar in space. Like we were down here, on the ground with like, okay, here's the land, here's the water, here's a mountain, there's like a valley. And somehow from knowing that from just walking around down here on earth, we could figure out, okay, this is like this, this is a continent, this is a country, you know, we were able to do that. I mean, granted, it wasn't like fully formed in that time, but we were able to get kind of a rough look at it. But even then, like these maps didn't come out of nowhere, really. Like if you look at those world maps from the 16 and 1700s, continents look kind of like if you drew them from memory, kind of like sketchy, even though they were surveyed and measured for centuries. Then these inaccuracies were fixed little by little over time. And then people started to use more advanced equipment to measure and reshape the wrong spots. And then fast forward all the way to the 19th century. So this is the 1800s. The world map looked almost like a satellite photo. And if you search for maps from like the 15th century, the world looked even worse than all of this. It's like, you know, the blobs and the first grade sort of scribbles. I actually read that on a Reddit page that I'll have linked. But you won't believe how much we got wrong before we got it right. Before we got a chance to ping up to the moon and see things for what they really were. And though we'd gotten a lot right from our early efforts, and it's actually pretty remarkable how we could even do that. Like I said earlier, like, you know, in this we were able to just from standing down here on Earth, figure some things out. You know, it took going up to the moon and getting further away, going into a, a helicopter or a plane and all the things like that to be able to see things clearer. A change of perspective. Like, we really got things crystal clear when we were able to view them from higher up, from a different angle, from a different vantage point a bit later on. Like, we had some things together down here on Earth, but when we took a step back and really looked at the big picture, we were able to get things much more precise and clear. But we weren't far off all along, just needed that different perspective and a different place for things to fully come together. So that is a metaphor for how I see my life right now. You know, I have some things together for sure. I know the basics of what I enjoy, what lights me up, what I'm good at. But I think I just need a change of perspective every once in a while to see things clearer, and that involves walking away from things, that involves taking a pause, that involves knowing when it's time to go. And so that is why, like I said, at the very top of the episode, this is the very last episode of Thick and Thin as it is. In this current day and age, we will see where things go. As a team, I will never abandon you guys. I'm always available over on Instagram, which is my first and last name, at Katie Bilotti um and then obviously over on youtube hello katie youtube.com slash hello katie i have my other podcast match made in manhattan which is on all platforms and what else do i have i have tiktok kind of (laughs) i still need to redownload that app um but yeah i'm available you know and i'm always gonna be telling stories it just might not be in this format I believe in change. I believe in shifting things around so you can see them better. So that's why I'm closing this chapter and getting a better vantage point to see how things can improve and be better. And I'm going to lead myself blindly into a new chapter. So follow me to see how things work out. And thank you so much for your support over the years and for listening to this podcast. It means so, so much to me. And that's it, guys. I will talk to you guys when I talk to you, where I talk to you, who the heck knows. But I will see you then. Bye.